good morning. On behalf of uh, our community church family, and for what I know, our communities throughout our valley full of grateful citizens, I just want to express what an incredible honor it is to have first responders uh, in our presence. First responders who, on a daily basis, stand ready to answer the call to walk into harm's way or to enter the fray of uncertainty and trauma just to serve others and to make a difference with your individual lives. Uh, for those that are with us uh, in this hour and for those who will uh, join us next hour for a lunch in their honor, uh, church family, would you give them a round of applause? I want to thank you for being with us today. It is a sincere privilege, whether you're in our presence or perhaps on duty and listening uh, to our broadcast on 98.3 or perhaps watching our YouTube broadcast. For our church, this is uh, a special opportunity uh, for us to tangibly express in some small way a debt of gratitude that we feel for you and for your families that so often share in the risk that is your duty. Though this is an especially targeted message today, I hope that it will bring encouragement uh, and instruction to everyone here. This morning, I hope to draw from the pages of Scripture uh, to accomplish a twofold aim. One, to accentuate what makes a first responder such a noble task and to affirm you uh, for the role that you play. And then to speak life-giving words of encouragement um, and aid to those who face the stressful and dangerous and oftentimes unpredictable work uh, that you do. Our desire in hosting this day is simply to express uh, as uh, a part of this community our love for you, uh, for the job that you do, uh, to assure you that we pray for you, and to underscore that we hope that you know uh, that we are here for you when you should need us uh, just as much as you are here for us all the time. Ultimately, our church exists to point every man or woman to the greatest first responder who ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so uh, it's especially easy for us to, uh, in light of what Jesus did for us, to recognize the sacrifice of men and women uh, as they care for their community, to want to say thank you to you. I'd like to begin this morning by defining uh, what a first responder is. Merriam-Webster uh, defines the term this way, a person who is among those responsible for going immediately to the scene of a crime an accident or emergency to provide assistance. I suppose that that covers the basics, but it seems woefully inadequate when it comes to actually describing the sort of traits that go into the making of a first responder. Like everyone in this room, uh, we've probably all lived long enough to have experienced the chaos of life. Life is full of tragedy, and at some point, it's going to affect each and every one of us. And when it happens, oftentimes, uh, our prayers are that there will be someone there to help us. The Bible teaches us that this is not a perfect world, and that doesn't take any of us by surprise. The bottom line reason for this is because sin is in the world. People do wrong things, or random bad things happen in this sin-stained world, and suffering is the result of that. The Bible is brutally honest with us about this. Uh, in a wisdom book in the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 8, verse 14, says, Sometimes something useless happens on earth. Bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people. It's just the world we live in. 
Uh, Jesus, on an occasion recorded in Luke, uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, is talking about two tragedies that happened in his day. Uh, the one story is about a bunch of innocent worshipers who had gathered in the temple, and uh, unbeknownst to them, there were other people who were bent on evil, and they came into the temple, and they ruthlessly uh, slaughtered the people that were there. A second story Jesus tells is about a tower uh, that collapses on 18 people, and all 18 people lose their lives in this accident. And then he asked the question, who sinned that caused this tragedy? Was it a result of, of their sin? Was it their own fault that tragedy befell them? And then he answers his own question by saying, absolutely not. Now, this doesn't negate cause and effect. In fact, Jesus goes on to say in Luke 13 uh, that whether our lives are marked by triumph or tragedy, that every one of us is in need of repentance uh, lest we die in our own sin. The truth is, most of our problems in life are our fault. The vast majority of them are. We are our own worst enemy. We do reap what we sow, but not always. Sometimes we suffer innocently. You see, not everything that happens in this life is God's will. And in finding fault with God, we miss out on the fact that the Bible says that God is grieving over our tragedy as well. He grieves over our suffering and our sin as well. He identifies with our hurts and our heartaches. The truth is, God's will isn't always done. Now, God could stop chaos and tragedies. God could stop that all today. God is sovereign. That means he has supreme authority over all things. It would be really easy for him to do. All he would have to do is take away free will, the freedom to choose. But to be fair, he couldn't just take it from those who are bent on destruction. He'd have to take your free will too. He'd have to take my freedom of choice too. And the greatest privilege that you've been given in life, the privilege that has come to you by God, is the freedom to choose. And this freedom comes with an enormous responsibility, and sometimes it's also our greatest curse, because we don't always choose the right thing. Sometimes we choose the wrong thing. And when in a society the wrong thing is chosen by people, then it tends to create suffering. God's will isn't always done in this world. And that's why, for instance, 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Apostle Peter writes, it is God's will that all should repent. And none should perish. Question, do all repent? No. Do some perish? Yes. Why? Because God will never force his will on your will. He respects how he created us in his image with the right or the freedom to choose. And that's why we're taught in the Lord's Prayer to pray, Thy will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. Why? Because God's will isn't always done on earth the way that it is done in heaven, which is perfectly. So all of us will experience chaos and tragedy in this lifetime. Sometimes it's of our own making, and sometimes there's just this unfortunate randomness to it. What we need to know is that God loves us. He cares for us. He wants to meet us in the midst of life's difficulties. We need God, and He is there for us. If only we turn to him. And that brings me back to the uniqueness of first responders. You see, while all of us will taste the hardness of life, in which we will hopefully come to know the goodness of God, first responders make a life of continually, sometimes relentlessly, walking into the face of human suffering, tragedy, and chaos. And it takes a special person to do that. 
And because the uniformed uh, heroes around us are just humans, that task can and often does take an enormous toll on their lives. First responders are just ordinary people who display an extraordinary kind of humanity, an extraordinariness that echoes something about who God is. And if you're a first responder, I hope that you make the connection between this today and the truth about God. Because to give yourself to something so noble as to serve a community in the spirit of a sacrificing Savior and yet not know Him is the greatest tragedy of all. What kind of extraordinary traits typify first responders? Well, my list is probably not an exhaustive list, but I believe that my list would be found on any exhaustive list, and these traits are things we want to thank you for to the degree that you possess them and you reflect them. First, thank you for your courage. The dictionary uh, defines courage as uh, the mental or moral strength to venture, to persevere, or to withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. It is the capacity to override the quite natural tendency in us to flee, to flight, instead to choose fight. G.K. Chesterton wrote, courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live, taking the form of a readiness to die. C.S. Lewis wrote, courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. And that great theologian, John Wayne, once said, courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. This is what first responders do on a consistent basis. Men and women created the image of God. Uh, We are the imago Dei, which means we were meant to reflect something of who God is. And the Bible shows us that God is a courageous God. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus is often described as meek, which we uh, misunderstand as weak. Meekness is actually strength under control. And that's what courage is. Uh, Little wonder that God should so often challenge his people, as he does in Joshua chapter 1, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. When first responders, or any of us, display courage, we're manifesting something about our Creator. Of course, courage, apart from a relationship with God, uh, while noble, is leaving something incredibly important out. One, that we were meant to be in a relationship with our God, with our courageous Savior, and to reflect Him. And second, that any display of courage is that it's most potent when it is backed by the promise that we just read in Joshua chapter 1, that God will be with us wherever we go. That promise is only afforded to those who have a relationship with God. Second, we would thank you for your skill. The psalmist declares, we are fearfully, wonderfully, and intentionally made. It is God who has given us our abilities, and he has given us things not only to reflect who he is, but to contribute some redemptive good in the world around us. First responders are commendable examples to us precisely because they invest their lives preparing for the most difficult of tasks, knowing in advance, though they do not know when, that they will be called upon to use those skills uh, in traumatic times, in trying times. And such life-giving and life-saving work is an incredible source of helping and healing to people in our community. But it is also, when coupled with a relationship with God, a great source of joy and a curative healing for the one who is giving. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor and theologian uh, in Hitler's Nazi Germany during the war, wrote, if you do a good job for others, you heal yourself at the same time. 
because a dose of joy is a spiritual cure. When we enter a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and we align our lives uh, with what he made us to do, we're not only in the business of serving God, we're in the business of serving other people. And so the the Apostle Paul uh, writes this challenge to all of us in 1 Corinthians 15. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Whether you are here today as a first responder or you work in construction or whatever you put your hand to to provide a living, in a relationship with God, your work becomes work as unto the Lord. We're encouraged to give our best to Him. Third, thank you for your compassion. The trait of compassion is woven into every person if only we tap into it and apply it. First responders are routinely called upon uh, to display compassion for others. And again, this is a trait of God's uh, that we reflect when we display it. Psalm 145 verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Charles Dickens once wrote, no one is more cherished in the world than someone who lightens the burden of another. Thank you. In two times in my life, I have uh, been involved uh, intricately in tragedy. And in both of those scenarios, first responders were involved. And while their skill was essential to uh, assuring life continued, uh, it was the compassion that was most meaningful uh, to my family. Uh, It was a care and concern for someone they didn't even know to go to great lengths uh, for something that we would give our lives for uh, just to stand in the gap. So skill is important, but compassion uh, is greater. And this is uh, living out, uh, as first first responders often do, what Jesus called the golden rule, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Fourth, thank you for your wisdom. It's true that first responders are often placed in a position where they have to make split-second wise decisions, but the greatness of the value of the first responder's wisdom is that it is most often directed at protecting God's prized creation, which is people. As an anonymous person wrote, if you want to touch the past, touch a rock. If you want to touch the present, touch a flower. If you want to touch the future, touch a human life. And this is exactly what first responders so often do. But the first responder's wisdom, like any of us in this room, is not sourced in self. Rather, it is sourced in a personal knowledge that it is God who has given to us this ability to do what we do. The prophet Jeremiah writes these words, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom or his strength or his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows and understands me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Finally, fifth, thank you uh, for your love. Love of service, love of brothers, uh, love of sisters, love of of duty, uh, love of people. I recognize that love of strangers you couldn't even imagine knowing might not be what got you into this line of work the role that you play, but doubtless the basic love of your fellow man or woman is what enables you to sustain commitment to it over the long haul. And this is, above all else, commendable in God's sight. In fact, uh, it explains to us, it reveals to us why God does what he does. He enters chaos and he creates beauty. In Genesis, scripture tells us that at the outset of creation, the earth was without form and void. 
And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God spoke. The Hebrew word for without form is the word that we translate chaos. So literally, the Bible tells us uh, about God from the very beginning that he is a God who enters chaos and he creates beauty. We see him doing this throughout the entirety of Scripture, most precisely in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's what he stands ready to do in every one of our lives if only we welcome him in. And the one verse uh, in the Bible that most affirms first responders is John chapter 15, verse 13, which says, greater love, this is Jesus speaking, greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down their life for friends. Of course, Jesus Christ. God in the flesh is the epitome of that verse. He entered humans, uh, the humanity's chaos. He engaged human sin and hurt and heartache and brokenness. And through his work upon the cross and through the glory of his resurrection, when we turn to him in faith, he is not only able to forgive our sins and to bring us into God's family, but he's able to make something beautiful of our otherwise chaotic lives. So in addition to imploring you to give your life to Jesus, I just want to affirm you, first responders, for the work that you routinely do, entering chaos and bringing order. You may not often get to see uh, the beautiful end of the life stories that you touch, but God does. And every time you enter the fray, God is at work to do something beautiful through your life. And that leads me to a second point I want to make today which is aimed principally at the church. First responders, because of their often inordinate exposure to stress, trauma, and tragedy, are in need of our prayers, our gratitude, and our support. So why set aside a Sunday? Because it matters. Um, We feel like, as a church, it's an incredible opportunity to remind you uh, that you matter to our community, that you're loved, that we're praying for you, and that we're here for you. Uh, The work of a first responder, like that of soldiers, often subjects them to PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. The continued exposure to chaos and tragedy takes a toll on men and women, and while much has been done, increasing measures have been uh, put in place to kind of help with this, I want to give you five principles that are born out of Scripture, uh, given to us by God, a God who understands how difficult life can be, so that when we are facing uh, tragedy, when we are uh, dealing with stress or trauma, uh, we might know how to handle the hardness of life. These have each been meaningful in my own life. First, I want to encourage you to process your emotions openly. When you go through something traumatic, which is inevitably going to happen to everyone in this room, the first thing that you need to do is release your grief and anger. Why? Because trauma and tragedy create high-velocity emotions. Fear, anger, worry, depression, resentment, grief over uh, those who die innocently. These feelings are scary, and we don't often know what to do with our feelings, especially men. And if you don't know how to handle them, Your recovery from something traumatic will take way longer than it should than if you just stuff them down. Some of us are stuffers by nature. It just comes naturally to us to kind of bury things deeply when we have emotions that we don't know how to to handle. But I want you to notice what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus is saying, listen, it's, it's human nature to experience volatile emotions. But it's not productive to hold those emotions in. 
It's important that we grieve those things, that we mourn them, that we, that we get them out, that we express them to other people. Uh, scripture says, pour out your hearts to God, for he is our refuge. King David is such a great example of this in the scriptures. He knew something of, of tragedy and trauma, and he came to discover that God wants to comfort us in the midst of the hardships of life. He wrote in Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. All that's keeping us back oftentimes from help for what we experience is simply reaching out to God, is simply calling out to Him for what He stands ready to do for us. But in order for that to happen, we have to release what's bottled up inside of us. Grief is a part of life. And so the first thing you have to do is release that grief, because if you don't, it's going to pile up inside of you and it's eventually going to erupt. It's better to talk it out than to take it out on yourself or someone in your life. So rather than stuff them, we have to learn how to share them. And for our, from our church, for our part, we simply say we're sorry for the consistent trauma and tragedy that you witness. We want you to know that we pray for you and we're here for you. Second, I would encourage you to pour yourself into community and find the comfort of others. This is uh, the pivotal role of the church in a community. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, speaking to Christians and to the responsibility of the church, says, carry each other's burdens. By helping each other with your troubles, you obey the law of Christ. It's a big mistake to isolate yourself from others when you're going through a crisis. Usually that's what we want to do. We just want to we, we be alone. We want to isolate ourselves from other people because other people don't understand. They don't know what we do. They don't see what we go through. And it's, there's just this tendency to try to, to isolate ourselves away. But you need other people in a tragedy. You, you need other people's prayer. You, you, you need their support. You need uh, their listening ear, their, their encouragement. Sometimes you just need the presence of someone. It doesn't even really matter what they say. This is what needs to happen in uh, cases where we have experienced something traumatic, tragic or uh, something traumatic, is to be around other people. God says that we need each other. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says, look after each other so that not one of you will fail to find God's best blessings. God's saying that to make it through difficulty, to survive the kind of chaos that can happen in this life, you need the very best that he has to offer. And in order for you to have the very best, you're going to need some other people around to rely upon. And this is why I try to encourage people as often as I can to be a part of a church family. I'm not talking about attending I'm not even talking about our church only. I'm talking about being a member of a spiritual family because if you don't have those kinds of relationships, when tragedy strikes, who's going to hold you up? Doing life together, the kind of life that's based upon faith, isn't a backup plan. It's a primary place of preparation. It's preventative maintenance. Just know today that Christ, the, the Christian church, um, the Christian faith isn't just a contingency plan for when things go bad. It's intended to be a place where we are prepared for what we cannot see coming yet that is going to befall us because tragedy happens in this life. And for what you see, the front row seat you often have to trauma, we say we're sorry, we're praying for you, and we're here for you when you need us. Third, protect your heart from bitterness. Refuse to be bitter. Job chapter 21 verse 25 says, Some people have no happiness at all. They live and die with bitter hearts. 
Each one of us has to decide when we go through tragedies or disasters, am I going to become a bitter person or am I going to become a better person? We can either choose happiness in the midst of tragedy or we can choose bitterness. We have to choose, but we can't choose both of them. Again, Jesus' Beatitudes uh, illustrate that there's absolutely no correlation in life between your experiences and your happiness. None whatsoever. Two uh, sets of people can go through similar circumstances and come out on the other side. One will be bitter and one will be bettered. The exact circumstances and the difference between that has to do with the choices that we make and the kind of faith that guides us. So in choosing not to be bitter... Uh, it's important to have a place in your life that reinforces what it means uh, to hold on to something good, to, to something better than what this world often offers. Hebrews chapter 12 says, watch out that no bitterness takes root among you. It causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. Just remember, there's no one who understands what we go through better than God. No one. You and I can go through uh, incredibly uh, hurtful and painful things in this life, things that can deprive, of, deprive us of those that we love, but no one has experienced what Jesus Christ did when he went to the cross on your behalf and mine to take upon himself our sin, the weight of human sin, and to do uh, battle with the forces of darkness so that you and I might be forgiven and set free from sin and adopted into God's family. God understands when we, we go through trauma or tragedy. Have you ever noticed what insurance companies consider an act of God? Hurricanes, disasters, floods, fires. Honestly, what, what are the real acts of God? When a baby's born, uh, when a person is healed, when a marriage is recovered, when a family gets back together, when a man or a woman willingly risk their lives to walk into danger for the good of another person, as first responders so often do. These are acts of God. These things speak of a God who loves us and who died to save us. So, how do you keep from becoming bitter when the inevitable tragedies of life strike? Two things. One, I would encourage you to accept what you cannot change. Quit trying to change it. Job 11, a man who knows something about suffering, said, reach out to God, then face the world again, firm and courageous. Faith is facing the facts and not getting discouraged. It's not pretending that everything's great. God's not act asking us to ignore the reality of the hardness of this life. It's seeing reality, and then it's choosing to operate in faith. Faith in what, you ask? Well, faith in the God who, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, can cause all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. The only way to overcome some problems in life is to accept them and then to get on with living with God's help. Your past is your past. It's over. It can't hurt you anymore unless you choose to allow it. So accept what you can't change. And then second, focus on what's left not what's lost. The Bible says, no matter what happens, always be thankful, for this is God's will for you. What's God's will for me in the middle of a crisis? Well, it's to be thankful, to be thankful no matter what. Thankful for the problem, 
Of course not. God's not asking us to, to be thankful for the evil that often befalls this world. But God does expect us to look at the face of tragedy, remember that he's good, remember what we still have, and to find a way to be thankful for what we have, not for what's lost. Choose to focus on God's goodness because gratitude and bitterness cannot easily coexist. If you want to get over bitterness, then as the old hymn says, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Just begin making a list of all of the good things that God has done, of all the things that he stands prepared to continue to do, and it will help you overcome a struggle with bitterness. It's like the old adage that says, I once complained that I had no shoes until I saw a man with no legs. Sometimes in the midst of our suffering, we simply need to be reminded of God's goodness to us in light of the kind of tragedy that takes place in this world. But for what you do, for the tragedy and trauma you often see, our church says, we're sorry for that. We feel the weight of that with you. We're praying for you, and we're here for you. Fourth, I would encourage you to prioritize what's most important. Disasters have a way of clarifying uh, values. They have a way of pointing out what really matters in life and what really didn't matter at all. Uh, they define our values. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus said, Life is not measured by how much one owns. So I would just encourage you, don't confuse your net worth with your self-worth. Don't confuse your possessions with your pur purpose in life. Don't confuse what you're living on uh, with what you're living for. A man's life, a woman's life does not consist of the possessions that they have. What we discover in tragedy is that the greatest things in the world are not things. The greatest things, the things that matter the most are the relationships that we build and the kind of life that we live and the love that we leave behind. And this level of clarity is readily available to first responders in a way that most of us struggle to see and to remember. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7 says, we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. If you want real security, you must build your life on something that can never be taken away. Can you lose a home? Some in this room may have. Can you lose a career? Yes. Can you lose a marriage? Yes. Can you lose your health? Yes. Can you use, lose your youthful uh, beauty? Absolutely. I am case in point. Can you, can you lose a relationship with God? Emphatically, no. Why? Because a relationship with God was never based upon your ability to earn it or to maintain it. There is nothing that you and I can do to work our way to God. Works, man-made religion that will give you a list of things that you must accomplish in order to be acceptable to Him is an abomination to the work of Jesus Christ. For it is only as God moves to us, as God does something for us in the work of Jesus Christ uh, on our behalf, by grace through faith that we may enter in. And the keeping of that relationship is not based upon us either. It rests solely in God's hand. And that's why the most important thing that we can emphasize in this life is having a relationship with God. Because God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Paul says it like this, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What is that? Namely, my life, my soul. I trust him with it. 
and I believe that he is good to maintain it, to keep it. Chaos in life creates uncertainty, and in times of uncertainty, we look for stability. The only thing that is absolutely constant, unchanging, is God. He keeps all 100% of his commitments. Once you place your life in his hand through the work of Jesus Christ, by grace through faith alone, then God says to us, you are in my hand and no man can remove you. So we pray that you know that. We're sorry for the rigors of the job that you do. We're praying for you and we want you to know we're here for you. That leads to the fifth piece of advice. I would encourage you, implore you to press into a relationship with Jesus for the strength that you need to face an uncertain future. Paul writes this familiar courage, encouragement in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I have learned the secret of being happy at any time and everything that happens. Okay? Paul's writing these words from prison. Okay? He's not on a beach somewhere. I've learned the secret of being happy any time and everything that happens. And here's a famous sports verse. I can do all things through Christ because he gives me strength. Now the truth is. That's not talking about running a touchdown or making the block or throwing the pass. That verse gets used in sports a whole lot. But the strength that Christ is providing is the very strength that we need to shoulder up underneath a world that continually throws hardship at us, in a world where our sin so easily besets us. In Christ, we can do all things. So how could Paul say that? Well, first, he looked to Christ for salvation. He looked to Jesus to accomplish in him what he could not accomplish on his own. And Paul stood heads and toe, head and toe above all of us, head and shoulders rather, above all of us when it came to religious zeal. Psalm 46 two says, God is our protection and our strength. He always helps in times of trouble. So we will not be afraid even if the earth shakes or the mountains fall into the sea. Paul had discovered in a relationship with Jesus Christ not only a way to be forgiven of sin and to overcome his natural tendencies, but to discover a life he was meant for that he never knew was possible. So he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we were really crushed and overwhelmed and feared we would never live through it. We saw how powerless we were to help ourselves, but that was good. For then we put everything into the hands of God who alone could save us. And he did help us and save us. And we expect him to do it again and again. See, when we look to Christ for salvation, then we're invited into a walk with him where we learn uh, to lean on Christ for stability. Isaiah 26.3 says, You, Lord, give true peace to those who depend on you. Psalm 112, verses 6 and 7 says, Such a person will not be overthrown by evil circumstances. God's constant care of him will make a deep impression on all who see it. He does, he does not fear bad news, nor live in dread of what may happen, for he has settled in his mind that God will take care of him, of her. Is that confidence a peace in your own heart? It's available as we turn our lives over to him. Jesus said there's essentially two ways to go about living your life. It's, he likens it to building a house. 
He says, on the one hand, uh, you can build your house on worldly philosophies, on secular humanism, on any number of, uh, of man-focused religions, and it's akin to building your house on shifting sand. Or you can build your house upon the rock, the rock of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ that says God has done something on our behalf that we could not do for ourselves, and we only enter into that by grace through faith. These are the two ways. And what he says is that when the storms of life come because things happen in this life, if you've built your life upon sand, you will find the foundation of your life shifting and you will suffer loss. But for the person who has bet it all, for the person who has given themselves without reservation to Jesus Christ and his work upon the cross on our behalf, we will find our lives sure. Though the storms of life batter the house, though we suffer loss, we will not suffer loss eternally, for we have rooted our life upon Jesus Christ. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. First responders, the work that you stand ready to do is not only a beautiful expression of what Jesus has already done for us in a far more significant way, it's also a faint echo of who God is. A God who enters the fray and creates beauty, enters our chaos, enters our tragedy and trauma, and orders it to something me meaningful. Scripture says what our enemy, what the devil meant for evil, God means for good. I just want to implore you to come to know and to walk with God, whose character and commitment your line of work so nobly reflects for our church we so desperately want you to know the peace and strength of God that passes all understanding. It is only available in this traumatic world through Jesus Christ. And he alone knows what your future holds, knows what my future holds. We're praying for you that if you don't know Jesus, you would come to know him. By grace, through faith, it is with the mouth we confess and with the heart we believe, this is the transaction of entering into a relationship with God. And if you do know him, then we would encourage you to continually press into that relationship to find what only God can do in you, through you, and for you. And again, we're here for you. First responders are ordinary people who display an extraordinary kind of humanity. A kind of extraordinariness that echoes something about God. And because of their often inordinate exposure to stress and trauma and tragedy, church, church, they need our prayers, our gratitude, and our support.